Welcome to the Mac and Fish Podcast. I'm Coach McKinley Roll. I'm here with my co-host, Charles Fishbein, better known as Fish. Fish, what's going on? What's up? All right, we're also here with our co-host, Corey Long. Corey, what's going on? Uh, not much. Just gonna another week of moral victories, I tell you. This is becoming the state of moral wins. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Well, let's jump into it. Um, first game, let's talk about Florida State, Notre Dame. Uh, so, uh, Corey, give me your thoughts on that. I'm glad we're starting off with Florida State this week because it's only going to go up from here. That's, that's the exciting thing. You can only get better. Um, you know, I the game wasn't as close as the score would indicate. I think, you know, Notre Dame made some mistakes early, and I thought FSU did a good job of capitalizing on those mistakes. Ten points off of turnovers, hit a big pass. They got the ball more to Tamori and Terry. I can say that the offense – in general, look better. They still don't have any explosion at the running back position. They still can't block, but uh, they were able to do some things well. Defensively, they're a rudderless ship. I think, uh, you know, guys, I'm sitting there watching their three big runs. Notre Dame had three really big runs in that game. And in each one, I mean, in one, Janaris Robinson's right in the hole. He just, I don't know what he was doing. He just runs right past the play, and the other two, uh, DJ Lundy, who's a who's a kid, he's only in his fourth game, so I, I'll give him a bit of a pass. But he looked like he knew what he was doing on the field. Uh, you know, I, I hear it on both sides: it's the players, it's the coaches, etc. Um, instinctively, are the and I just wonder: are these guys in the right position, or they just have bad instincts, or is it both? Are they in the wrong position and have bad instincts? But I, you know, I don't see anything. I don't see anything that makes me think that this isn't going to be a one or two win season. And I don't care what Kirk Herbstreet says. You ain't building no culture going one and 10 or two and nine, other than building a culture of going one and 10 or two and nine. I've been on a lot of bad football teams in my life. The culture, when you lose, you become losers. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. Fish, what do you think? Uh, I agree with the they look better on offense, but that's bar is very low, you know, like they you, 50, what was it? 52 to 10 against Miami. So they're only supposed to get better. I mean, this is an offensive coaching staff that has, has a lot of accolades. So we were hoping they would get better on offense as the season gets along. Um, the disappointments of defense, we heard how great they were going to be. I mean, uh, you know, I'm going to call them out again. The, websites the fan websites that are supposedly around these teams told us how great this defense was going to be how great the d-line was going to be you would have thought this is a fearsome foursome or the uh the great bears defenses and this defensive line has underachieved and that's why they're not good on defense you could blame the linebackers you could blame the secondary the d-line has been very very disappointing and considering they have so many upperclassmen and these guys have, I mean, they got money on the line. You know, the, these guys are supposed to get drafted high in the draft. This is, these are uh, guys that are basically not putting a lot of good film up. But offensively, yeah, you know, we've talked about it before. I talked about it before the season started. I think we've talked about it about two or three uh, podcasts already. Jordan Travis was a guy that I think all three of us agreed on should have been the starter from day one. He's proven that um, he's a serviceable quarterback. I think the fans and 
people are getting a little ahead of themselves. Uh, he's not Patrick Mahomes. Let's uh, pump the brakes on that. He's not going to win the MVP of the NFL anytime in our lifetime. And he's a good player that they could build around. Uh, I, I do have my doubts when they start to play defenses that can stop his ability to run because he's not a great passer. And that's when you're going to find out what coaching's like at Florida State. These guys are going to have to make the adjustments to continue to improve on what they did this week. This week was a positive offensively uh, compared to the prior weeks. So there are things that they can build upon, but now adjustments have to be made accordingly too when these teams start to stack the box and say, hey, listen, Travis ain't going to beat us with his legs. You want to beat us, you're going to have to beat us up top. Now, they got some of those plays this weekend against Notre Dame, but how much of that was Notre Dame, you know, not playing a game in two or three weeks? You know, how much of that was that and them not being out there? But, you know, the plot, the, like Corey discussed, how they're going to have success is wins and losses. That's what recruits look at. Recruits don't look at the scoreboard and go, oh, well, they lost by 16 points. Man, they've improved. Let me go there. But I, I've always said whether they go 1-10 and 10 or 10-1, and 1, Florida State, Miami, Florida have a lot to sell. And that's what these coaches are going to have to do. Hey, listen, we don't have the players right now. You're the guy that's going to help us turn this around. And they have they have a program to sell. I don't Wins and losses should not matter with what they have to offer going forward. And they, they have to emphasize that, and hopefully they will. Yeah, no, I, I agree with both of you guys. Um, you know, I think that, you know, Florida State uh, definitely um, looked like they improved offensively, uh, but they still have a long way to go. I didn't see anything in the offensive line that gives me confidence moving forward um, that they're going to improve uh, throughout the season. And, and that's where the game is won or lost in the trenches. I think teams are going to start taking away uh, Travis running the ball, and they're going to take away Terry too. They don't understand that he's the biggest threat they FSU has, and they're going to start, you know, game planning to take him away. So, what do you do now? You know, the running game is still non-existent. Um, we still need to see some kind of, you know, I want to see some kind of uh, difference that the, the offense uh, coordinator and the, the offensive gurus uh, that these offense coaches are supposed to be. I want to see that, and I want to see continued success. Defensively, it, it's it's a struggle. That that is not an FSU defense. This may be the worst FSU defense that they've had in school history. Um, you know, and, and it's not changing. They don't have a pass rusher. Um, there's nobody walking, you know, down the hall next week that's coming coming in to save the day. Um, but you want to see improvement. And like you said, Fish, the defensive line, it, everything starts up front, and these guys are not not doing it. Um, and then I, I thought Samuel, I saw Samuel got hurt. You know, that's your top defensive bet. So you're going against North Carolina next week. I mean, he's going to be limping into that game. It, it doesn't, that's not a recipe for success. I think they, you know, again, I, I, I hope that FSU is not a program that accepts moral victories and gets back to the winning ways, but you have to start winning series by series quarter by quarter and do it that way. Um, but we'll see. They got a long way to go, and I, I, I'm not sure that changes. Well, I mean, we talked about it. I'll say one last statement on this. We talked about this uh, earlier. There's a lot of upperclassmen on that defensive side of the ball. Yep. And which one of those guys says enough's enough? Like, listen, we, I, listen I understand you're not going to be perfect on every play, but it just seems like these guys, they've checked out. I don't know. It just – 
for as much talent as they have, like, listen, there's less talented guys on the offensive side of the ball, but they're all giving effort. You can't argue that. Like, those guys, whether it's the whole line, it's the receivers, the running back, they're giving you everything they have. The defense needs to do the same. They need to hold up. Their, they're not asking them to do a whole lot. Give us two stops, two, three stops during the game, and maybe they could win one of these games because that's all but, they really need. But one thing I would say, though, I, I think that we're getting too we're, – we're, we're you know, hammering these players and we're putting in everything on them. I've seen play some programs with lesser quality talent than FSU does and FSU has and have played better defensively. So I wouldn't necessarily say it's only the players. They didn't just all of a sudden get worse. The players have to get motivated. They have to be put in position to be successful, take advantage of what they do well, schematically change what you do, and adjust. That's what they have to do. It's, it's, you're, you don't have a pass rusher, so create have some creative blitzes. It can't just be, oh, well, they didn't get there, so it is what it is. No, you have to, that's what coaching is. That's what yeah. coaching is. Oh, they're gonna have to, they're gonna have to take chances. And they're gonna have to they're gonna have to just take chances and go after somebody. But they're they're not taking chances, they're not aggressive, and they're still getting just whipped and they're right. getting passed. And I see guys afraid to make plays. I see guys that are unsure about what they're supposed to do in situations. You wanna see if you're gonna make mistakes, you want them to be aggressive, you want teams to be you know, the guy made a mistake because he got in the backfield so fast sort of mistakes, not, you know, the guy made a mistake because he sat there and was, he sat there and was completely frozen by Ian Book on his own read, like Ian Book is ever going to keep it and go somewhere. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just, I, I don't, I mean, I'm, I, I don't know what to say. I'm still kind of, I think the, I think it's not players. It's not, I think the sum is equal to the parts here. I think both sides have a lot of improving to do. Let's segue uh, into, uh, you know, Florida and uh, Texas A&M. Um, you know, big win for Coach Fisher and his program at Texas A&M. Um, you know, Jimbo Fisher has owned the University of Florida. Um, he's going eight and one against them as a head coach, you know, dating back to his time as a, as a head coach of Florida State. And, you know, for anyone that questioned uh, Jimbo Fisher's ability to, to coach on, on a collegiate level at a high level and get Texas A&M uh, to be a national program, you know, you're, 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 you're wrong if you thought he couldn't do that because Texas A&M is here and here to stay. Um, I mean, I, I thought they went toe-to-toe with, with Florida. Um, obviously, they, you know, they caught a big break with the turnover late in the game. Um, you know, University of Florida, again, their defense, and you've, we've seen it, right? We talked with Coach Brown about yeah. how defenses this year are giving up so many yards and so many points. And this is not a traditional University of Florida defense. It's not. Um, and, and they have to get that side of the ball fixed because the University of Georgia and University of Tennessee look very good, okay? And if you want to win the East and you want to have a shot at the playoffs and, and moving forward, those programs are on a trajectory up. So I think Florida's in for for a rude awakening in a couple of weeks. But uh, Fish, what are your thoughts? You know, I'm I'm just shocked at Florida's defense because I think Todd Grantham is, you know, a top flight defensive coordinator. I think they've got very good coaches on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, they've got talent. There's something gone awry. This isn't a talent issue. Yeah. Uh, there's just something. The the parts. It's like. Ten guys do something right, one guy does something wrong, and that one guy that's doing it wrong messes up for the whole defense. You just see the long pass plays. 
they just look out of sync. And it's just, I don't know if it's, you know, I don't want to blame COVID or the lack of, you know, hitting and practice, but something's off. They, they almost need like a bye week to just try to figure it out because, you know, not having a week off and really just stepping back and looking in the mirror and saying, Hey, this is what's wrong because they got good coaching. Like I said, Grantham's a great defensive coordinator. Um, you know, but I, I, I don't know why, and I and I discuss this over and over, why people think Jimbo's not a great coach. I just it just blows my mind, and and I've heard every excuse. Well, he can't win without Jameis. He can't win without this guy. He can't listen. The proof's in the pudding. One national championship ring, another. Uh, uh, they made the playoffs one year. Won eleven games with EJ Manuel. You can tell me whatever you want. I look at scoreboard. And seven and one against Miami when he was here. Seven and one against University of Florida when he was at Florida State. He had a winning record against Clemson. He just beat Florida. Florida. Uh, you people say, oh well, he, he he can't beat a top five team. Well, he just beat a top five. Like every time Jimbo does something, his critics push the goalposts further and further back. It's like they just don't want to give him credit. Hey, listen. It's like I remember arguing with my friends about Michael Jordan. Uh, he, I used to always say, oh, he will never win a title. Finally, at some point, you got to admit, this guy's good. You know, it's like, <laughs> just shut up and take it for what it is. He's a great coach. Yeah. And and he's going to prove it at Texas A&M. No doubt. You know, no doubt. Uh, people sit there going, well, he didn't beat Alabama. Blah, blah. Well, you know what? Saban's got a great football team. Not many other coaches have beaten him. <laughs> you know, there's maybe one or two alive. All right, that have beaten them. So, but AM, you know, it's a big win. And I think it's a big step forward because the one thing that tells you good coaching is how do you respond when you were physically and mentally whipped the week before? All right. They got physically and mentally whipped by Alabama. They could have quit, but Jimbo's always talked about, hey, listen, there's a lot of things you can learn from that. And you want to talk about not having a moral victory. They came back and beat a top five team after they got thoroughly whipped the week before. So you want to keep arguing that he's a bad coach, go right ahead. I'm not going to argue with you anymore. Good luck. Yeah. Corey, what do you got? Uh, yeah, I think along those same lines, I'm, you know, for me now at this point, I'm curious about both of these teams. Where does the follow-up come through? Where does How does this victory really springboard, you know, Texas A&M to where – their fans kind of want them to be where they expect them to be. I think Florida's got a lot of questions. And again, I think these are not questions about talent. These are questions about very simply, are these players, you know, are these, are they, how are these players going to respond? Defensively, they've been struggling all season. And Saturday was a horrible display of tackling. I mean, at a fourth and two, they give up a touchdown on the guy breaks three tackles, I think you know, before breaking, busting to the outside. And, you know, defenses in general, I like to say, when you don't have those guys causing havoc on the edge, you just don't have the same product. And there's no doubt that they missed the guys that were that were on the edge last year. I think that's uh, – Zuninga was one of the guys. Uh, I forget the name of the other – defensive end that was highly drafted. I'm lost right now. I'm thinking about his name, but, you know, they've got talent at the end. They've got talent at the pass rusher, but these guys aren't getting there. 
And, you know, and that, that, that allows that a lot of player like Kellen Mond, a, a quarterback that has shown that he can be shaken. He gained confidence. He went out there and gained confidence. And, you know, all of a sudden he had the game of his life, was making tremendous clutch plays down the stretch, you know, game-winning drive. This is an it was it's really is a an amazing step forward for Kellen Mond for the Texas A&M program, and you know in Florida now you now you have ask yourself a lot of questions going into this LSU game. You know, can this defense bounce back? What changes need to be made on that side of the ball because offensively, they, offensively they got everything they need, and you know now you go out there you play LSU and that's that that's your SEC that's your chances at winning the SEC on the line you know this is a weird season with every game a conference game you know they could be putting themselves so far behind the eight ball with the southeastern conference by the time that you know Georgia and Alabama kick off at prime time on uh on, on Saturday so you know I think both sides need to I you know I want to see where both sides head from here how they do it I don't think one loss kills you but you know, I think Florida's, you know, you can't be too confident in the way that, and this has been from since the Georgia game last year, from the way teams can get third downs on them, from the way teams are able to stay on the field, and for the way teams are able to rack up yards against their defense. It's got to be very frustrating. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Let's talk about uh, Miami Clemson. Um, you know, that's a game that, uh, you know, I was really interested in watching. Um, I think that's going to be pretty much what the ACC comes down to um, from both sides, uh, Clemson and Miami. Um, you know, I just thought Clemson was Clemson. You know, they're, they're one of the top programs in the country, and they don't really have a lot of weaknesses. They play very good defense. Uh, they have, the you know, one of the best quarterbacks or the best quarterback in the country. Um I didn't, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I don't see many weaknesses on that team. Um, you know, maybe I could be wrong, but I don't see it. Um, they play a complete game. Um, they're going to be a tough out for everyone out there um, in, in the country. And, 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 you know, Dabo's got that program running on different levels now. Um, you know, what do you guys think about that game? And, um, you know, how was how Miami's ability or um, – or inability to get anything really started offensively. It didn't seem like they were comfortable. What do you guys think about that? You know, McKinley, um, when it comes to Clemson, I, I think that they're one of those teams. I don't think as a Miami fan or a follower, you got to sit there and be, yeah, you want to win the game, but sometimes the other guy comes and he's just better. And that's, that's just one of those situations. I mean, Miami's got a very good team. I think what will tell us they're a good, really good team or not is how they respond to a game like that. And they, they'll have, they'll probably have another shot at the end of the year at Clemson, but Clemson's really good. And as good as Trevor Lawrence is, I think it's about time that the national media really, really puts Travis Etienne in the Heisman Trophy talk. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he has proven himself the last two years to be probably the most important, if there's a most valuable players, as good as uh, Trevor is, they really can't afford to lose Etienne. You know, as much as, yeah. as good as he is. But Clemson's a very good team. You saw it on the defensive side of the ball. They're able to uh, – they do so much with their front four. They're able to they, – they have so much talent in their front seven that their back – their their defensive backs don't ever seem like they're getting challenged because of how much pressure 
they put up front. You know, and Venables is such a good coach. I, yeah. I, it's amazing. You know, I, he's another guy. I don't think he gets enough credit for how, how good he is. I mean, he has a brand-new D-line in there. He's got – I mean, heck, he throws his son out there, and he's making plays. That just shows you how good of a coach he is. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't think they get enough credit. And you know how good Clemson is is when they trot out. This is – I mean, it's kind of arrogant, but they trot their kicker out for a 60-plus yarder and said, you know what, we don't care what happens here. This game's basically over. It gets blocked, returned for a touchdown. And they were like – coach is like, yeah, it was on me. Blame me. I, I, I made the dumb decision to decide to go for a 60-yard field goal. But you know what? I'll talk to you guys after the game. <laughs> I'm out, you know? Yeah. Corey? You know, sticking with, you know, Brent Venables, I think it was a really, you know, it was for, for Derek, I mean, for Derek King, it was a introduction into what really NFL caliber talent is like and what, it, you know, and he never saw anything like that in the American conference. And, you know, I think, and obviously, excuse me, you know, Louisville isn't the type of, isn't a defensive team by any stretch. So, that was really De'Ara King's first time facing a team that had that level of talent on their defense and, and then also have a tremendous coaching, tremendous scheme. They play hard. He, he was going to – he struggled against it. He just he just did not have the answers. He they, they had the answers for everything he wanted to do. He couldn't really get on the edge like he likes to. He couldn't find any space. that They completely smothered him. Um you know, it reminded me a lot of when uh, Miami played FSU in 2013. They were undefeated in that game. It was a big deal. I don't think Miami played badly that night, but they lost by 27. I don't think they played badly last night, but they lost by 25 because the gap between the two teams is that significant. Um, I, You know, if, if, if you're Miami, you really have to kind of just chalk that up to, hey, these guys have been here before. They're no stranger to the big games. They were prepared. They were, you know, they're definitely, Clemson's definitely defending just more than their home field or their ACC championship. They're defending their way of life, basically. The difference between 2013 and 2020 is that Al Golden still didn't have good players coming in. He couldn't follow it up. Manny Diaz has some top-flight talent in his recruiting class. So I think you can start to see that gap narrow. I don't think Miami lost anything in terms of credibility or reputation. They just lost a game to a much better team. Mm -hmm. But I think for that coaching staff, that was a great experience. It's like, okay, they've already shown they can recruit some of these kids. You know, these, these are areas that we have to, that we have to be strong at if we're going to compete with Clemson. And I think that, you know, there's no better way than to find that out firsthand. And I think what it showed was the most two important positions on the field are O-line and D-line. And that's what really separates the two teams. Clemson has, you know, and people, we see it all the time. Oh, four and five stars. Hey, they got four and five stars on that whole D-line. And their O-line has a big, their offensive tackle, Carmon Jackson came from Ohio. He was a five-star guy. They got guys up front. They have dudes. Mm -hmm. And that's why Clemson's really good, and they're a top-five team. Miami's not there yet, but with the guys they're bringing in, that gap is closing. They may not know it right now, the Miami fans, but that gap is definitely closing. 
No doubt. No doubt. I mean, you see it. Um, and I, I, if I'm a Miami fan, I, I'm again, we're not into moral victories, but you could see the talent level has increased. Their team has gotten better. Uh, that it, Manny Diaz has done a great job with where Miami's at. And you can't expect them to, to come in there and beat Clemson and Death Valley. Uh, right. It isn't at the team for that right now, but I, in a year or two, I think that changes. No doubt. Uh, let's, let's, let's jump in and talk about, uh, you guys want to talk about Tennessee and, um, Georgia? Yep. Yeah, I definitely want to talk about that. And I'm going to okay. tell you this, um, I've watched the game. Uh, it was a very good game. Tremendous first half. Uh, I thought Jaron Garantano played an excellent first half. He was, um, they, they figured him out in the second half and what Georgia did in the second half of that game was probably is going to be as impressive a display as we see all season. Outscored them 20 to nothing, outrushed them 193 to negative one, I believe. Defensive touchdowns, sacks, turnovers, they did everything they want. And it's funny because, you know, Fish and I were talking last night, and it's like, you know, they got all these tools. And I'm not going to say anything bad about Stetson, Stetson Bennett. Maybe he's going to be the guy this year, but, you know, he's not, he's clearly a game manager and does the best he can, but. If Justin Fields would have stayed in that program, this team would be the most heavily favored team to win a national title since the 2001 Miami Hurricanes. I think it would be a no-doubter. I don't think anybody would stay on the field within 20 points of them. But because they don't have a quarterback that I think can make plays when times are rough, that's going to eventually come back to bite them. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. There's no doubt. Uh, Georgia, it was a tale of two halves, right? Um, They just (laughs) – Their defense is so, so good. I think they may may have the best defense in the country. As we, again, we talked about how all these points are being scored. Alabama gave up 600 something yards and 48 points. You've never seen a Nick Saban defense be, give up that many yards and that many points. And it would look like so easy, but Georgia's defense has everything. They have pass rushers. They got run stoppers. They fly to the ball. They have defensive backs. The quarterback just doesn't have to mess it up, yeah. right? Everything else they have, they have speed at receiver. They have talent at running back. I, I, I really, really love what Kirby Smart is doing. Um, but I like what Jeremy Pruitt's got going on Tennessee as well. Um, yeah. You know, they got some talent there, and they, they're going to be pretty good, and they'll, they'll, have a, they'll be in a conversation for years to come. What do you think, Fish? I, I think if there's one silver lining for Florida State fans uh, is – the Tennessee model. Here's a school that went through multiple coaches over a two or three year period. They, it took a lot of, uh, to get out of that hole. They've been patient with Jeremy Pruitt. And I think you're starting to see some of the rewards. They don't have the same talent as UGA, but they hung with them for a half. You know, they still have to get the pieces. They've done a very good job on the old line. I think their old line recruiting has gotten a lot better. You know, Tennessee needs that, that running back, you know, they've had the Jamal Lewis's, they've had the Travis Stevens, they've had those guys uh, that have played in the NFL. You don't see that guy right now. I think the gray kid's good, but they could do better. Uh, but the one thing about Georgia, they just look like a team that was made in a lab. I mean, you look <laughs> at their old lineman. I've just never – you can't tell me that's just weights. You know, like <laughs> these kids are just humongous. I mean, they look like, like honestly, creatures, you know. But, uh, I mean, they're huge. If you, 
The one thing about them, though, and me and Corey joke about this, you turn on the TV, you honestly thought a fan won a competition to be the quarterback of that team. I still, every time I have to do a double take on their quarterback, I mean, he he makes Doug Flutie look big. I mean, the kid's like 5'9", <laughs> 160 pounds, and he's rolling out there like, you know, hey, he gets crushed too, and he just bounces back up. I saw a guy for Tennessee lay him out, but, you know, this is a very good game, and, and like I said, Georgia's a national championship contender, and for all those people that sit there and doubt star rankings, well, uh, you go look at where the recruiting classes were ranked the last four years. Kirby has been stacking this team. This isn't a one-year thing. This is years, four or five years of just stacking one guy after another guy after another guy. And I, they're, it's going to be very interesting. I do think the quarterback could be their only drawback if they, or if they play for a title and win it or not. Because it's going to be interesting once they play a team like Alabama that kind of can scheme against their offense and everything, what he'll be able to do. But – I mean, if you're a Georgia fan, you know, you got to be excited. This They may finally, finally uh, live, you know, like Cubs fans did a couple years ago and finally break through because this team's probably one of their better teams they've had since Kirby's been there. All right. That's a wrap. We will see you next week. All right. Welcome to the Mac and Fish Podcast. I'm Coach McKinley Roll. I'm here with my co-host, Charles Fishbein, better known as Fish. Fish, what's going on? What's up? All right, we're also here with our co-host, Corey Long. Corey, what's going on? Uh, not much. Just got a, another week of moral victories, I tell you. This is becoming the state of moral wins. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Well, let's jump into it. Um, first game, let's talk about Florida State and Notre Dame. Uh, so, uh, Corey, give me your thoughts on that. Well, I'm glad we're starting off with Florida State this week because it's only going to go up from here. That's, that's the exciting thing. You can only get better. Um, you know, I the game wasn't as close as the score would indicate. I think, you know, Notre Dame made some mistakes early, and I thought FSU did a good job of capitalizing on those mistakes. Ten points off of turnovers, hit a big pass. They got the ball more to Tamori and Terry. I can say that the offense – in general, look better. They still don't have any explosion at the running back position. They still can't block, but uh, they were able to do some things well. Defensively, they're a rudderless ship. I think, uh, you know, guys, I'm sitting there watching their three big runs. Notre Dame had three really big runs in that game. And in each one, I mean, in one, Janaris Robinson's right in the hole. He just, I don't know what he was doing. He just runs right past the play and the other two uh dj lundy who's a who's a kid he's only in his fourth game so I, i'll give him a bit of a pass but he looked like he knew what he was doing on the field uh you know i, I hear it on both sides it's the players it's the coaches etc um instinctively are the and i just wonder are these guys in the right position or they just have bad instincts or is it both are they in the wrong position and have bad instincts but 
I, I, you know, I don't see anything. I don't see anything that makes me think that this isn't going to be a one or two win season. And I don't care what Kirk Herbstreet says. You ain't building no culture going one and ten or two and nine, other than building a culture of going one and ten or two and nine. I've been on a lot of bad football teams in my life. The culture, when you lose, you become losers. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. Fish, what do you think? Uh, I agree with the they look better on offense, but that's bar is very low. You know, like they you, 50, what was it? 52 to 10 against Miami. So they're only supposed to get better. I mean, this is an offensive coaching staff that has, has a lot of accolades. So we were hoping they would get better on offense as the season gets along. Um, the disappointments of defense, we heard how great they were going to be. I mean, uh, you know, I'm going to call them out again. The, websites the fan websites that are supposedly around these teams told us how great this defense was going to be how great the d-line was going to be you would have thought this is a fearsome foursome or the uh the great bears defenses and this defensive line has underachieved and that's why they're not good on defense you could blame the linebackers you could blame the secondary the d-line has been very very disappointing and considering they have so many upperclassmen and these guys have, I mean, they got money on the line. You know, the, these guys are supposed to get drafted high in the draft. This is, these are uh, guys that are basically not putting a lot of good film up. But offensively, yeah, you know, we've talked about it before. I talked about it before the season started. I think we've talked about it about two or three uh, podcasts already. Jordan Travis was a guy that I think all three of us agreed on should have been the starter from day one. He's proven that um, he's a serviceable quarterback. I think the fans and people are getting a little ahead of themselves. Uh, he's not Patrick Mahomes. Let's uh, pump the brakes on that. He's not going to win the MVP of the NFL anytime in our lifetime. And he's a good player that they could build around. Uh, I, I do have my doubts when they start to play defenses that can stop his ability to run because he's not a great passer. And that's when you're going to find out what coaching's like at Florida State. These guys are going to have to make the adjustments to continue to improve on what they did this week. This week was a positive offensively uh, compared to the prior weeks. So there are things that they can build upon. But now adjustments have to be made accordingly, too, when these teams start to stack the box and say, hey, listen, Travis ain't going to beat us with his legs. You want to beat us, you're going to have to beat us up top. Now, they got some of those plays this weekend against Notre Dame, but how much of that was Notre Dame, you know, not playing a game in two or three weeks? You know, how much of that was that and them not being out there? But, you know, the, the like Corey discussed, how they're going to have success is wins and losses. That's what recruits look at. Recruits don't look at the scoreboard and go, oh, well, they lost by 16 points. Man, they've improved. Let me go there. But – I, I've always said whether they go one and ten or ten and one, Florida State, Miami, Florida have a lot to sell, and that's what these coaches are going to have to do. Hey, listen, we don't have the players right now. You're the guy that's going to help us turn this around. And they have they have a program to sell. I don't wins and losses should not matter with what they have to offer going forward, and they they have to emphasize that, and hopefully they will. Yeah, no, I I agree with both of you guys. Um, you know, I think that, you know, Florida State uh, definitely um, looked like they improved offensively. 
uh, but they still have a long way to go. I didn't see anything in the offensive line that gives me confidence moving forward um, that they're going to improve uh, throughout the season. And, and that's where the game is won and lost in the trenches. I think teams are going to start taking away uh, Travis running the ball, and they're going to take away Terry too. They understand that he's the biggest threat they, FSU has, and they're going to start get, you know, game planning to take him away. So what do you do now? You know, the running game is still non-existent. Um, we still need to see some kind of, you know, I want to see some kind of uh, difference that the, the offense uh, coordinator and the, the offensive gurus uh, that these offense coaches are supposed to be. I want to see that and I want to see continued success. Defensively, it, it's it's a struggle. That That is not an FSU defense. This may be the worst FSU defense that they've had in school history. Um, you know, and, and it's not changing. They don't have a pass rusher. Um, there's nobody walking, you know, down the hall next week that's coming coming in to save the day. Um, but you want to see improvement. And like you said, Fish, the defensive line, it, everything starts up front, and these guys are not not doing it. Um, and then I, I thought Samuel, I saw Samuel got hurt. You know, that's your top defensive bet. So you're going against North Carolina next week. I mean, he's going to be limping into that game. It, it that's not a recipe for success. I think they, you know, again, I, I, I hope that FSU is not a program that accepts moral victories and gets back to the winning ways, but you have to start winning series by series, quarter by quarter, and do it that way. Um, but we'll see. They got a long way to go, and I, I, I'm not sure that changes. Well, I mean, we talked about it. I'll say one last statement on this. We talked about this uh, earlier. There's a lot of upperclassmen on that defensive side of the ball. Yep. And which one of those guys says enough's enough? Like, listen, we, I, listen, I understand you're not going to be perfect on every play, but it just seems like these guys, they've checked out. I don't know. It just, for as much talent as they have, like, listen, there's less talented guys on the offensive side of the ball, but they're all giving effort. You can't argue that. Like, those guys, whether it's the whole line, it's the receivers, the running back, they're giving you everything they have. The defense needs to do the same. They need to hold up. The, they're not asking them to do a whole lot. Give us two stops, two, three stops during the game, and maybe they could win one of these games because that's all but, they really need. But one thing I will say, though, I, I think that we're getting too we're, – we're, we're, you know, hammering these players and we're putting in everything on them. I've seen play some programs with lesser quality talent than FSU does and FSU has and have played better defensively. So I wouldn't necessarily say it's only the players. They didn't just all of a sudden get worse. The players have to get motivated. They have to be put in position to be successful, take advantage of what they do well, schematically change what you do, and adjust. That's what they have to do. It's, it's, you're, you don't have a pass rusher, so create have some creative blitzes. It can't just be, oh, well, they didn't get there, so it is what it is. No. You have – that's what coaching is. That's what yeah. coaching is. Oh, they're going to they're gonna have to take chances, and they're going to have to – they're gonna have to just take chances and go after somebody, but they're they're not taking chances. They're not aggressive, and they're still getting just whipped, and they're right. getting passed. And I see guys afraid to make plays. I see guys that are unsure about what they're supposed to do in situations. You want to see if you're gonna make mistakes. You want them to be aggressive. You want teams to be, you know, the guy made a mistake because he got in the backfield so fast. Sort of mistakes, not you know, the guy made a mistake because. He sat there and was he sat there and was completely frozen by Ian Book on his own read, like Ian Book is ever going to keep it and go somewhere. <laughs> so 
I mean, it's just I, I don't. I mean, I'm. I, I don't know what to say. I'm still kind of. I think the. I think it's not players. It's not. I think the sum is equal to the parts here. I think both sides have a lot of improving to do. Let's segue uh, into uh, you know Florida and uh, Texas A&M. Um, you know, big win for Coach Fisher and his program at Texas A&M. Um, you know, Jimbo Fisher has owned the University of Florida. Um, he's going eight and one against them as a head coach, you know, dating back to his time as a, as a head coach of Florida state. And, you know, for anyone that questioned uh, Jimbo Fisher's ability to, to coach on, on a collegiate level at a high level and get Texas A&M uh, to be a national program, you know, you're, 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 you're wrong if you thought he couldn't do that because Texas A&M is here and here to stay. Um, I mean, I, I, I thought they went toe to toe with, with Florida um, obviously they, you know, they caught a big break with the turnover late in the game. Um, you know, university of Florida, again, their defense and you, we've seen it, right. We talked with coach Brown about yeah. how defenses this year are giving up so many yards and so many points. And this is not a traditional university of Florida defense It's not. Um, and, and they have to get that side of the ball fixed because the university in Georgia and university of Tennessee look very good. Okay. And if you want to win the East, and you want to have a shot at the playoffs and, and moving forward, those programs are on a trajectory up. So I think Florida's in for, for a rude awakening in a couple of weeks. But, uh, Fish, what are your thoughts? You know, I'm, I'm just shocked at Florida's defense because I think Todd Grantham is, you know, a top-flight defensive coordinator. I think they've got very good coaches on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, they've got talent. There's something gone awry. This isn't a talent issue. Yeah. Uh, there's just something, the, the parts, it's like 10 guys do something right. One guy does something wrong. And that one guy that's doing it wrong messes up for the whole defense. You just see the long pass plays. They just look out of sync and it's just, I don't know if it's, you know, I don't want to blame COVID or the lack of, you know, hitting and practice, but something's off. They, they almost need like a bye week to just try to figure it out because, you know, not having a week off and really just stepping back and looking in the mirror and saying, Hey, this is what's wrong because they got good coaching. Like I said, Grantham's a great defensive coordinator. Um, you know, but I, I I don't know why, and I and I've discussed this over and over, why people think Jimbo's not a great coach. I just it just blows my mind. And and I've heard every excuse. Well, he can't win without Jameis. He can't win without this guy. He can't listen. The proof's in the pudding. One national championship ring. Another. Uh, uh, they made the playoffs one year, won 11 games with E.J. Manuel. You can tell me whatever you want. I look at scoreboard. And 7-1 against Miami when he was here, 7-1 against University of Florida when he was at Florida State. He had a winning record against Clemson. He just beat Florida. Florida, uh, You people say, oh, well, he, he, he can't beat a top-five team. Well, he just beat a top-five. Like every time Jimbo does something – so his critics push the goalposts further and further back. It's like they just don't want to give him credit. Hey, listen, it's like I remember arguing with my friends about Michael Jordan. Uh, he, I used to always say, oh, he will never win a title. Finally, at some point, you got to admit, this guy's good. You know, it's like <laughs> just shut up and take it for what it is. He's a great coach. Yeah. And, and he's going to prove it at Texas A&M. No doubt. Yeah. No doubt. Uh, people sit there going, well, he didn't beat Alabama. Blah, blah. Well, you know what? Saban's got a great football team. Not many other coaches have beaten them. <laughs> you know, there's maybe one or two alive. 
all right, that have beaten them. So, but A&M, you know, it's a big win. And I think it's a big step forward because the one thing that tells you good coaching is how do you respond when you were physically and mentally whipped the week before, all right? They got physically and mentally whipped by Alabama. They could have quit, but Jimbo's always talked about, hey, listen, there's a lot of things you can learn from that. And you want to talk about not having a moral victory. They came back and beat a top five team after they got thoroughly whipped the week before. So you want to keep arguing that he's a bad coach? Go right ahead. I'm not going to argue with you anymore. Good luck. Corey, what do you got? Uh, Yeah, I think along those same lines, you know, for me now at this point, I'm curious about both of these teams. Where does the follow-up come through? Where does – how does this victory really springboard, you know, Texas A&M to where their fans kind of want them to be where they expect them to be? I think Florida's got a lot of questions. And, again, I think these are not questions about talent. These are questions about very simply – are these players, you know, are these, are they, how are these players going to respond? Defensively, they've been struggling all season. And Saturday was a horrible display of tackling. I mean, at a fourth and two, they give up a touchdown on, the guy breaks three tackles, I think, you know, before breaking, busting to the outside. And, you know, defenses in general, I like to say, when you don't have – those guys causing havoc on the edge. You just don't have the same product. And there's no doubt that they missed the guys that were la- that were on the edge last year. I think that's a uh, Zuninga was one of the guys. Uh, I forget the name of the other defensive end that was highly drafted. I'm, I'm lost uh, right now. I'm thinking about his name. But, you know, they've got talent at the end. They've got talent, the pass rusher. But these guys aren't getting there. And, you know, and that, that, that allows that allowed a player like Kellen Mata, a, a quarterback that has shown that he can be shaken. He gained confidence. He went out there, gained confidence. And, you know, all of a sudden he had the game of his life, was making tremendous clutch plays down the stretch, you know, game-winning drive. This is a, it was, it's really is a, an amazing step forward for Kellen Mond, for the Texas A&M program. And, you know, in Florida, now you, now you have to ask yourself a lot of questions going into this LSU game. You know, can this defense bounce back? What changes need to be made on that side of the ball? Because offensively, they, offensively they got everything they need. And, you know, now you go out there, you play LSU, and that's, that, that's your SEC. That's your chances at winning the SEC on the line. You know, and this is a weird season with every game – a conference game, you know, they could be putting themselves so far behind the eight ball with the Southeastern Conference by the time that, you know, Georgia and Alabama kick off at primetime on, uh, on on Saturday. So, you know, I think both sides need to, I, you know, I want to see where both sides head from here, how they do it. I don't think one loss kills you, but, you know, I think Florida's, you know, they can't be too confident in the way that, and this has been from since the Georgia game last year, from the way teams can get third downs on them, from the way teams are able to stay on the field, and for the way teams are able to rack up yards against their defense, it's got to be very frustrating. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Let's talk about uh, Miami Clemson. Um, you know, that's a game that uh, you know I was really interested in watching. Um, I think that's going to be pretty much what the ACC comes down to. Um, from both sides. 
um, Clemson and Miami. Um, you know, I just thought Clemson was Clemson. You know, they're, they're one of the top programs in the country and they don't really have a lot of weaknesses. They play very good defense. Uh, they have the, you know, one of the best quarterbacks or the best quarterback in the country. Um, I didn't, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I don't see many weaknesses on that team. Um, you know, maybe I could be wrong, but I don't see it. Um, they play a complete game. Um, they're going to be a tough out for everyone out there um, in, in the country. And, 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 you know, Dabo's got that program running on different levels now. Um, you know, what do you guys think about that game? And, um, you know, how, how was Miami's ability or, um, or inability to get anything really started offensively? It didn't seem like they were comfortable. What do you guys think about that? You know, McKinley, um, when it comes to Clemson, I, I think that they're one of those teams. I don't think as a Miami fan or a follower, you got to sit there and be, yeah, you want to win the game, but sometimes the other guy comes and he's just better. And that's, that's just one of those situations. I mean, Miami's got a very good team. I think what will tell us they're a good, really good team or not is how they respond to a game like that. And they, they'll have, they'll probably have another shot at the end of the year at Clemson, but Clemson's really good. And as good as Trevor Lawrence is, I think it's about time that the national media really, really puts Travis Etienne in the Heisman Trophy talk. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he has proven himself the last two years to be probably the most important. If there's a most valuable players, as good as uh, Trevor is, they really can't afford to lose Etienne, you know, as much yeah. as good as he is. But Clemson's a very good team. You saw it on the defensive side of the ball. They're able to – uh, they do so much with their front four. They're able to they, – they have so much talent in their front seven that their back – their defensive backs don't ever seem like they're getting challenged because of how much pressure they put up front. You know? And Venables is such a good coach. Yeah. I, I, it's amazing. You know, I, he's another guy. I don't think he gets enough credit for how, how good he is. I mean, he has a brand-new D-line in there. He's got – I mean, heck, he throws his son out there and he's making plays. That just shows you how good of a coach he is. And um, I don't think they get enough credit. And you know how good Clemson is, is when they trot out. This is, I mean, it's kind of arrogant, but they trot their kicker out for a 60-plus yarder and said, you know what, we don't care what happens here. This game's basically over. It gets blocked, returned for a touchdown. And they were like, coach is like, yeah, it was on me. Blame me. I, I, I made the dumb decision to decide to go for a 60-yard field goal. But – you know what? I'll talk to you guys after the game. <laughs> I'm out. You know? Yeah. Corey? You know, going sticking with, you know, Brent Venables, I think it was a really, you know, it was for, for Derek, I mean, for Derek King, it was a introduction into what really NFL caliber talent is like and what, you know, and he never saw anything like that in the American conference. And, you know, I think and obviously, excuse me, you know, Louisville isn't the type of, isn't a defensive team by any stretch. So that was really De'Aaron King's first time facing a team that had that level of talent on their defense and, and then also have a tremendous coaching, tremendous scheme. They play hard. He, he was going to, he struggled against it. He just, he just did not have the answers. He, they, they had the answers for everything he wanted to do. He couldn't really get on the edge like he likes to. He couldn't find any space that they completely smothered him. Um, 
You know, it reminded me a lot of when uh, Miami played FSU in 2013. They were undefeated in that game. It was a big deal. I don't think Miami played badly that night, but they lost by 27. I don't think they played badly last night, but they lost by 25 because the gap between the two teams is that significant. Um, I, You know, if, if, if you're Miami, you really have to kind of just chalk that up to, hey, these guys have been here before. They're no stranger to the big games. They were prepared. They were, you know, they're definitely, Clemson's definitely defending just more than their home field or their ACC championship. They're defending their way of life, basically. The difference between 2013 and 2020 is that Al Golden still didn't have good players coming in. He couldn't follow it up. Manny Diaz has some top-flight talent in his recruiting class. So I think you can start to see that gap narrow. I don't think Miami lost anything in terms of credibility or reputation. They just lost a game to a much better team. Mm -hmm. But I think for that coaching staff, that was a great experience. It's like, okay, they've already shown they can recruit some of these kids. You know, these, these are areas that we have to, that we have to be strong at if we're going to compete with Clemson. And I think that, you know, there's no better way than to find that out firsthand. And I think what it showed was the most two important positions on the field are O-line and D-line. And that's what really separates the two teams. Clemson has, you know, and people, we see it all the time. Oh, four and five stars. Hey, they got four and five stars on that whole D-line. And their O-line has a big, their offensive tackle, Carmon Jackson came from Ohio. He was a five-star guy. They got guys up front. They have dudes. Mm -hmm. And that's why Clemson's really good, and they're a top-five team. Miami's not there yet, but with the guys they're bringing in, that gap is closing. They may not know it right now, the Miami fans, but that gap is definitely closing. No doubt. No doubt. I mean, you see it. Um, And if I'm a Miami fan, I'm – Again, we're not into moral victories, but you could see the talent level has increased. Their team has gotten better. Uh, that it, Manny Diaz has done a great job with where Miami's at. And you can't expect them to, to come in there and beat Clemson and Death Valley. Uh, right, He doesn't have the team for that right now. But uh, in a year or two, I think that changes. No doubt. Uh, let's, let's, let's jump in and talk about uh, – you guys want to talk about Tennessee and um, Georgia? Yep. Yeah, I definitely want to talk about that. And I'm going to okay. tell you this. Um, I watched the game. Uh, it was a very good game. Tremendous first half. Uh, I thought Jaron Garantano played an excellent first half. He was um, – they, they figured him out in the second half. And what Georgia did in the second half of that game was probably is going to be as impressive a display as we see all season. Outscored him 20 to nothing outrushed him 193 to negative one, I believe. Defensive touchdowns, sacks, turnovers. They did everything they want. And it's funny because, you know, Fish and I were talking last night, and it's like, you know, they got all these tools. And I'm not going to say anything bad about Stetson Stetson Bennett. Maybe he's going to be the guy this year. But, you know, he's not – he's clearly a game manager and does the best he can, but – if Justin Fields would have stayed in that program, this team would be the most heavily favored team to win a national title since the 2001 Miami Hurricanes. I think it would be a no-doubter. I don't think anybody would stay on the field within 20 points of them. But because they don't have a quarterback that I think can make plays when times are rough, that's going to eventually come back to bite them. 
Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. There's no doubt. Uh, Georgia, it was a tale of two halves, right? Um, they just, <laughs> their defense is so, so good. I think they may, may have the best defense in the country. As we, oh, again, we talked about how all these points are being scored. Alabama gave up 600 something yards and 48 point. You've never seen a Nick Saban defense be give up that many yards and that many points. And it looked like so easy. But yeah. Georgia's defense has everything. They have pass rushers. They got run stoppers. They fly to the ball. They have defensive backs. The quarterback just doesn't have to mess it up, yeah. right? Everything else they have, they have speed at receiver. They have talent at running back. I, I, I really, really love what Kirby Smart is doing. Um, but I like what Jeremy Pruitt's got going on Tennessee as well. Yeah. Um, you know they got some talent there, and they're they're going to be pretty good, and they'll they'll have a, they'll be in a conversation for years to come. What do you think, Fish? I, I think if there's one silver lining for Florida State fans, uh, is the Tennessee model. Here's a school that went through multiple coaches over a two or three year period. They it took a lot of uh, to get out of that hole. They've been patient with Jeremy Pruitt, and I think you're starting to see some of the rewards. They don't have the same talent as UGA, but they hung with them for a half. You know, they still have to get the pieces. They've done a very good job on the old line. I think their old line recruiting's gotten a lot better. You know, Tennessee needs that that running back. You, you know, you, they've had the Jamal Lewis's, they've had the Travis Stevens, they've had those guys uh, that have played in the NFL. You don't see that guy right now. I think the gray kid's good, but they could do better. Uh, but the one thing about Georgia, they just look like a team that was made in a lab. I mean, you look at their old lineman. I've just never – you can't tell me that's just weight. You know, like <laughs> these kids are just humongous. I mean, they look like, like honestly, creatures, you know. But, uh, I mean, they're huge. If you, The one thing about them, though, and me and Corey joke about this, you turn on the TV, you honestly thought a fan won a competition to be the quarterback of that team. I still, every time I have to do a double take on their quarterback, I mean, he he makes Doug Flutie look big. I mean, the kid's like 5'9", <laughs> 160 pounds, and he's rolling out there like, you know, hey, he gets crushed too, and he just bounces back up. I saw a guy for Tennessee lay him out, but, you know, this is a very good game, and, and like I said, George is a national championship contender, and – for all those people that sit there and doubt star rankings, well, uh, you go look at where the recruiting classes were ranked the last four years. Kirby has been stacking this team. This isn't a one-year thing. This is years, four or five years of just stacking one guy after another guy after another guy. And I, they're, it's going to be very interesting. I do think the quarterback could be their only drawback if they, or if they play for a title and win it or not because – it's going to be interesting once they play a team like Alabama that kind of can scheme against their offense and everything, what he'll be able to do. But I mean, if you're a Georgia fan, you know, you got to be excited this. They may finally, finally uh, live, you know, like Cubs fans did a couple years ago and finally break through because this team's probably one of their better teams they've had since Kirby's been there. All right. That's a wrap. We will see you next week. <laughs>